you've all just sat down, please stand again. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4 together this morning, starting at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As we just pause there, Lord, I thank you that as we read these words, we thank you for the ground of unity that we all share together. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. This language of taking captives is the language of lots of people joining with him, going with him into his ascension. And he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He first came among us as a human being. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. We've been singing about that this morning. Lord, you reign over all. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity, every single one of us, till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. What a fantastic sentence. The cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, the whole church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Lord, we thank you for this reading. We thank you for these words that Paul wrote some 2,000 years ago under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that what he intended for the church then to hear would be what we hear, and I pray also, Lord, that you would speak by your Spirit into what we need to hear for our own time and place here and now. 
So come, Holy Spirit, and lead us into all truth. Reveal the heart of Jesus to us in these words, and I pray that as we look at them together, that it will strengthen this body, this church, and enable us to keep growing into the maturity that you have in mind for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you sit down, I want you to take just a few moments, turn around to the people near you, and just introduce yourselves and say, hey, here's one or two things that really stood out to me from that reading. What captured your imagination from that reading? Go for it. Don't need to. Wonderful. Please take your seats. Well, thank you, Linda and the Forrest family uh, for a beautiful moment to be able to dedicate children to the Lord. We, we love doing that because we believe, as Jody expressed in her own video, that children are just as much a part of the body of Christ as the adults, and we want to see them flourish and grow in Christ and discover all that He has in mind for them, and I think that can start at any age. Amen. I remember uh, when I was a six-year-old hearing the Lord speak to me very clearly while I was in a church service uh, one time, and that word that He spoke to me as a six-year-old has stuck with me for the whole of my life. Um, I was watching the minister lead the service, preach, and I felt like the Lord just dropped into my own spirit that will be you one day. And uh, I turned to my mother, in fact, at that very moment. I said, I think the Lord just told me, and I had no idea what that really meant at the time, but I said in all my, you know, youth, young innocence, I said, I think the Lord just told me that I'm going to be a pastor one day. Here we are. We are looking at our values as a church through the lens of the book of Ephesians. We've gone through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Um, just kind of at the 30,000-foot level. We're not doing this ex, um, expositionally, kind of going verse by verse, but we're just looking at themes. And uh, in the last few weeks, Ephesians 1, we look together at our adoption as God's children and therefore as heirs of all that Christ has for us. And it's a gift of grace that God has lavished on us in Christ. That's the message of Ephesians 1. 
uh, Ephesians 2, that we were formerly dead, but we are now alive in Christ, and we've been created for good works that God had prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, Ephesians 3, we've been filled with power in the Spirit to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Uh, We are a people of the Holy Spirit. We are a church of disciple-makers. We are a new humanity, and today we are looking at the value, the promise. I think it's a biblical promise that runs through the whole of the Scriptures from beginning to end that we are called to be a priesthood. The priesthood of all believers is one of our core values as a church. And I think um, that really comes through in Ephesians 4, which I want to help us unpack a little bit together. Before I do that, let's read the value. Uh, Next slide. A priesthood of all believers where all disciples are equipped to do the works of Jesus in the world. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, that the gifts of the Spirit have been given to equip the people of God for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So we want to be a church where all disciples are equipped to do the works of Jesus in the world. A church that serves the least and the last as we work to bring justice, healing, and liberation So we take seriously this call to be at work in the power of the Spirit to bring the life of Jesus into dark places where evil reigns, where brokenness reigns, where sin has taken hold. We want to be salt and light in those places, bringing the life and love of Jesus where it's most needed. That's what we're trying to express there, justice, healing, and liberation from the systemic, that is the structural and demonic evils that destroy lives, families, and communities. It's not just about what God is doing for each of us personally, although that's important, but it's also about us joining with Jesus to bring His life into places where people are hurting. And that has structural, systemic aspects to it. The enemy works through governments, through systems, through communities, through families to enforce brokenness. Um, And so it's these two things working together, systemic evil and demonic evil that destroys lives, families, and communities. And we will train and send servant leaders who truly follow Jesus, who love sincerely, and who lead for the sake of others. We will raise up women and men to be a royal priesthood and ambassadors of God wherever He sends them. We are one, and we pray that as we serve, as we wash the feet of the world, God will do the impossible. Can I just pause for a moment? I want to pray into that. Lord, I thank You that the good news that we have received together in Christ Jesus is not just for us individually, but it's so that we as a church community can be equipped to continue the work that you started when you were among us as a human being. I pray, Lord, that for every person here, wherever they may be, um, through the week, in their families, in their workplaces, um, in their communities, that you will move through them powerfully so that they may be the salt and light that you have called them to be 
in those places. But it's also, Lord, about us together as a church family, as a community of disciples, following your lead, working together in unity, but also in the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit to bring what it is that you desire through this church into this city at this time. So help us, Lord Jesus, to be this people. Uh, And I pray that we would see this dream fulfilled among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I think, what is Paul trying to say to us out of Ephesians 4? I've already said it in a number of different ways already, that the point of the gospel, the point of our salvation, is that it's not just our salvation for us, for what happens to us when we die, the promise of life eternal. That's a part of it. But the promise of the gospel, the promise of the good news, the the invitation is that we have been called to participate with God. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, we have been reconciled to God so we can now partner with God in bringing His reconciliation into the world so that we can be part of what God is doing to reconcile Himself to others. And so we are ambassadors of heaven, Paul says. I mean, how can we possibly make such an arrogant-sounding statement. I am an ambassador of heaven. Is that how you introduce yourself uh, at parties? Hi, my name's Tim, an ambassador of heaven. I mean, it sounds crazy. It sounds arrogant. But the reason we can say that is because, Paul says, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. What is that new? For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become the righteousness of God, not just for our sake, but we can take that righteousness into every place where God has sent us. And by the way, wherever you are throughout your week, Wherever the Lord has placed you, that is where He has sent you. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to evangelize everybody, but you do need to be praying and asking for the Holy Spirit to help you be the salt and light He's called you to be in those contexts. And that's going to look different for all of us, depending on where we are and what we've been called to be about as Christ's ambassadors. So Paul's saying that the gospel is not just about what God has done for us, which we've looked at so... uh, I think, so powerfully through Ephesians 1 through 3. But now Paul kind of shifts the attention from what Christ has done to now the calling of the church to carry on what Christ has done so that it might happen in the lives of other people. So salvation means both being reconciled to God and then participating with God in bringing His reconciliation to others. Let me say that again. Salvation means both. So whenever you hear the word salvation, I want you to think of it in these terms. It's both I have been reconciled to God and now I've been called to be a reconciler for the sake of others. We have been created in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians 2, for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. This is the conclusion of the gospel. Christ has redeemed us from darkness, Paul says in Ephesians 2, and then he's created us 
uh, created us in him in order that we might partner with him for good works that he's prepared in advance. So faith, we know, without works is dead. So we are a royal priesthood. And this takes us all the way back to Exodus 19, when God calls Israel to be his own special people, just as you have been called to be God's special possession, a child of God. The same promise was given to Israel at the Exodus, Exodus 19. But was it just so that they could have a higher status than everyone else? I've called you, the Lord says in Exodus 19, to be my own special people. Is it just so that they can lord it over the other nations? No, it's so that they can be a light to the nations, a royal priesthood for the sake of the other nations. It wasn't just for them, it was for them so that they can now bring it to the rest of the world. Um, A royal priesthood, a holy nation. When God calls Israel into covenant relationship, He calls them to be a nation of priests, and now we have been given that same call. We are now a nation of priests alongside Israel in Christ Jesus for the sake of the world. So salvation, friends, means relationship and partnership with God. Relationship and partnership with God. And all of us who follow Jesus have been called to this ministry And not only called, but also qualified. We are co-laborers with Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 2, not by works, not because we're so great, not because we've proven something to God that makes us um, sufficient for this task, but it it is a gift that's been given to us. We are qualified by grace, by the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, such confidence we have through Christ before God Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Friends, your competence to follow Jesus and to do His work doesn't come from you, it comes from God. It is a gift that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. He has made us, Paul says, competent as ministers of a new covenant as a royal priesthood, not of the letter, not by works, not by keeping the law, but by the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Does anyone here feel a little overwhelmed sometimes by the call to follow Jesus and to do His ministry? Does anyone here ever feel like in your day-to-day life, man, I just don't know what I'm doing, I'm not equipped for this, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the skills, I don't have the character. Uh, This is so beyond me. Anyone? Like, this is every day of my life. Um, But this this is a good place to be because we are reminded then that this doesn't come from my capacities. My job is to surrender and be faithful, to trust. Like, faith means actually believing that what Jesus says is true. Um, and then living like it. And that's, that's a hard call, but this is why it is a ministry of the Spirit and not of the letter. It's a ministry of the Spirit's work in us, not of our capacity to do what is right all the time. And if that was the case, if that was the requirement, none of us would be able to stand. We are competent not from ourselves, 
But as we desire to grow up into maturity in Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 4, we'll press into the things of the Spirit. We'll press into the gifts of the Spirit. That's why the Spirit has been given to the church, so that through the gifts of the Spirit, the body of Christ might be built up. Just um, let's go back to verse uh, 10 here, or verse 11, sorry. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Not, I don't think this is meant to be an exhaustive list. Some people want to make this an exhaustive list in terms of like, these are kind of like the five-fold governance ministries of the church. Maybe that's the case, but I think the broader point here is that the, if the Spirit has been given and the gifts of the Spirit have been given to the church so that uh, we might be equipped for works of service. So as each member of the body of Christ does their part, um, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want to be part of a church where we are attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Like, for goodness sake, what would that look like? Wouldn't that be incredible? That when we gather, when we worship, when we serve together, when we're out in the world, when we're in our small groups, that we are attaining or experiencing in some measure the fullness of Christ? That would be incredible. I want to be part of a church that is desiring that, that's pursuing that, that is experiencing that. And the, the, the promise here is that that's actually possible that that could be what our experience of the local church is like. But the way to get there is by trusting in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as each member of the body serves and uses the gifts that they've been given and offers that to each other, then we will grow in these things. Everyone will reach maturity, Paul says. It will be a whole church experience, not just the special ones, not just the especially righteous or the especially gifted, but everyone from the least to the greatest will experience this growth into maturity. That's the promise. Till we all, he says, till we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure or the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, right? Then we'll have discernment. Then we'll have strength. Then we'll have backbone. Then we'll have understanding so that we're not blown around by every wind of teaching or by the craftiness and cunning of people who want to try and deceive us. Instead, we'll be speaking the truth in love and we'll be growing in every respect into the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Like, what an incredible vision for what the local church could look like. That's what I want to see and that's what we've tried to capture in this value that as we all step into this calling to be the royal priesthood that every single one of us has been invited into by Jesus, that will create a context and a culture among us where there is growth and maturity and understanding and discernment and life and salvation and power together to do the ministry of Jesus. Are you with me? Oh, come on, we can do better than that. Amen. Amen. You know, I remember seeing this one time a number of years ago. I was on a mission trip. It's back when I was at Bible college. Um, and there was a, a young woman on, a, on the trip with us. And we'd been doing a bunch of evangelism in local schools. And we were running this youth rally on Friday night. We'd invited a bunch of teenagers to come along. And incredibly, a whole bunch of them did. So this place that we'd rented for this youth rally on the Friday night, a whole bunch of kids from local high schools came. 
and um, most of them not Christians, and it was kind of wild and crazy. We were trying to worship, and there was just, it was just craziness going on. These kids had no idea, as we're singing worship songs, what to do. <laughs> you know what happens when teenagers don't know what to do? They go a little bit wild. Um, we had a sleepover for a bunch of 13-year-olds at my house last night. I can tell you all about that. Um, didn't get a lot of sleep last night, but uh, here we are. I'm still standing. There was a lot of screaming and giggling going on last night in our lounge room. Um, any, in any case, we're on this mission trip, and we're running this youth rally, and there's all these teenagers there who don't know Jesus, and the girl who had been invited to speak, this young woman who'd been invited to speak that night, had never preached a sermon in her life, and she was absolutely packing it. She was so frightened, so freaked out. And not only that, as we'd gotten to know her on this trip, it was pretty clear that you know, she had quite a number of self-confidence issues. She didn't feel particularly called, particularly valued. She hadn't had a great upbringing. She hadn't come from a particularly loving family and had lots of obstacles to overcome in her life. But yet here she was, and we'd invited her to speak that night. And she was freaking out. She was so frightened. Uh, and yet I remember in the prayer meeting before the service, she was just crying out to God. And I could hear the desperation in her prayer. Lord, you've got to, you've got to meet me here. You've got to work through me. I feel so afraid. I don't know what I'm doing. This is freaking me out. This is way beyond anything I can cope with. I need you, Lord Jesus, just to come and help me. And she was crying out to God. And we were too. We were standing with her and believing, partly because we didn't want the whole night to fall over. But at the same time, we did want her to succeed, and so we're praying into that. And, um, oh man, I still remember this moment. <clears throat> she got up to preach. She was trembling, frightened. And as she began to speak, I just watched that promise of 2 Corinthians 3 come to life. We are not competent, and yet the Spirit helps us. As she began to speak, just feel the Holy Spirit moving through her in power. And the room just went deadly silent. All these crazy teenagers stopped to listen. And so did we because we could hear that it was God speaking through this young woman. One of the most powerful moments of seeing this promise come to life that I can remember. And at the end, it wasn't a very long sermon. I don't know how long it was exactly, maybe about 10 minutes. And at the end, she gave this call uh, for people to dedicate their lives to Jesus and like half the room stood up. And all of these teenagers on that night just gave their lives to Jesus through this stumbling, trembling person who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the heart of it, right? The maturity that we're going for in Christ isn't worldly maturity in the sense that we've been put together and we're, you know, able to cope with every and any social situation with grace. It's a maturity that flows from the Holy Spirit, where we are being restored in His image, which flows out of our souls, not of what, what's going on on the outside. It's not about the externals, it's about what God is doing in our souls. And then as we grow in Christ, it flows out of us in all kinds of new and ex exciting and interesting ways that we could never have expected. As, just as Paul says in, in Ephesians 3, um, 
that he can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Maturity in Christ is about learning how to walk in the Holy Spirit, about learning how to grow in trusting the abiding, guiding, leading power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. I am literally on like page two of, what, five pages of notes here. But I want to share something that I came across a couple of weeks ago. I've been reading this book called The Dynamic Dynamic of the Spiritual Life by Richard Lovelace. And it's a beautiful and powerful book. Not easy going, but there are these moments just jump out at me and One of these, um, if we could just skip forward a couple of slides. Um, No, I'll just stop there and we'll come to that. Richard Lovelace says that as we grow in Christ, there are four key things that happen in us. I'll come to that quote in just a moment, just bear with me. There are four key things that happen in us that are signs of maturity in Christ, and here is what they are, is that we learn that we are accepted, that we're accepted, that we have been delivered, so we're accepted in Christ and we've been delivered from the demonic powers of evil and sin that have kept us in bondage up till that time. Third thing is that we are not alone, that Christ is with us always by the presence of the Spirit. And the fourth thing is that we have authority. Those four things, that just jumped out at me. Like, yeah, that's one of the, the greatest summaries of what the, a mature Christian life is meant to look like. That we are, when, you, when you come across someone who is mature in Christ, you're going to encounter those four things. That they know that they're accepted. That they know that they've been delivered. That nothing now stands against them that everything that once separated them from God, that held them to, to death and, and, and evil and sin has been dealt with. The third thing is that they're not alone, that Christ is always with them in any and every circumstance of life. And the fourth thing is that they have authority in the Holy Spirit to do the work of Jesus. I thought I had that on a slide somewhere, but never mind. But then he goes on, oh, there it is. Thank you. You are accepted. I think you should take a photo of this or write it down, and I want you to come back to this every day this week. You are accepted. You are delivered. You are not alone. And you have authority. You are competent as a minister of the new covenant wherever Christ has sent you because that's why he's put you there in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, social connections, wherever Christ has put you, he's put you there for a reason, for a purpose, and you have authority to do his ministry in those places. Now, the point of the gifts of the Spirit is that we're not all apostles, we're not all evangelists, we're not all pastors and teachers. We all have our own way of expressing the life of Jesus. So, Don't be worried about what everyone else is doing. The key thing for you is to press into the Holy Spirit so that you discover what it is that God wants you to do where He's put you. Because it's not like if I was put there, it would be different. If Linda there, it would be different again. It's you. 
that Christ has put there. And that means he wants you to express what only you can express. You are accepted. You are delivered. You are not alone. You have authority. Now, let's just go back to the first Richard Lovelace slide. I'm going to finish with this. And this is what he says, that the relationship of believers to the Holy Spirit is the most important experience of fellowship that they have. But it's also the most elusive. It requires careful cultivation until a habitual recognition of the Spirit is established as a constant attitude of the heart. Now, I've walked with Jesus for a few years now. And I know that that is just so true. The moment that I begin to just take the Spirit of God for granted is the moment that I suddenly start to find it more difficult to walk in His presence. Walking in the Spirit is like any other relationship. We have to cultivate it. But it's the most important relationship that you have in your life. Over everything else, if we can cultivate a relationship with the Spirit that is a kind of constant attitude of the heart, a constant openness to Him, hearing His voice, walking in His presence, then that will influence everything else about us, the way we feel, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, the, what we think is possible in any given circumstance. Like if we can cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit, which is elusive, and I don't know why, that frustrates me, to no end. Why, Holy Spirit, are you often so elusive? And I think it's because He wants us to pursue this, to desire it, to long for it, not just take it for granted, not just presume. Like in any relationship, the moment you start to take it for granted and presume upon it is when it starts to die. Come, anyone who's married knows exactly what I'm talking about. But it's true of any relationship especially in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It is a relationship. It is a fellowship, to use Richard's term, but the heart of it is the same. So I'm going to take a moment to pray. Uh, we're going to do this together. I invite you to stand with me. I'm going to yeah, invite the band to come on up. Thank you, guys. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Let's open our hands to the Lord. Let's a posture of surrender. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've done everything necessary so that we might know that we are accepted, that we are delivered, that we are not alone, and that we have authority. And you've sent your Holy Spirit for exactly that reason, 
that we might know day to day, moment by moment, as the Spirit speaks to the deepest places in us, that we are accepted, that we are delivered, that we are not alone, that we have authority. Let's pray right now, and I ask you guys to join me in this. Just cry out to the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, we are sorry that we so often presume upon you, we take you for granted. We often just carry on in our own way and get trapped into all kinds of different things, habitual sins, attitudes, bad behavior, and yet we presume on the grace of Jesus and then we wonder why it's hard for us to step into your presence and hear your voice. So we just take a moment to say we are sorry. Uh, We confess our brokenness and we ask for your forgiveness and we pray that this morning you might fill us again to overflowing. Remind us right now that we are children of God, that we're not alone, we've been adopted in and you'll never let us go and yet want more for us than just baseline salvation. You want us to flourish. You want us to grow into maturity. Every day you're crying out within us, interceding for us. Even when we don't know how to pray, you're praying within us, calling our souls to something deeper and greater and more powerful than we have experienced up to this point. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that that would come alive in us, burn a fire in us, Holy Spirit, that it cannot be quenched by the things going on around us. And I pray, Lord, for those here this morning who feel like my friend, young woman, and the story I told earlier, that there's so many obstacles in our way. And I just don't feel confident most of the time I feel afraid I'm not really sure if you're going to be there for me Lord Jesus when it counts because no one else has I pray Lord for anyone who's feeling like that right now that you would bring comfort and encouragement to their souls just pour in Lord your love pour in your assurance pour in Remind them now that they are not alone. They are not alone. And they never will be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe on us. Just take a deep breath. Breathe in the presence of Hallelujah. Amen. Let's uh, let's sing together.